RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships Collection. All new starships in a larger size format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Shinjo for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 279, Forward X. Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we fly straight into the center of an episode of Star Trek. When we get there, we like to get out and take a look around for a while, looking for morals, messages, and meanings, and seeing if the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, Vortex. Vortex not included. That's right, if you were thinking that Vortex would be the one with a vortex, you were mistaken. Uh, not unlike the passenger, which also did not have a vortex. I've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first, a word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. We have told you about these before... And I'm not going to say don't make us tell you again, because come on, we like talking about these things because these things are awesome. Officially authorized by CBS Studios, made from quality, weighty, uh, solid materials uh, based on the actual CG models used in production. I mean, these things are quality through and through. uh, But in addition to being quality, uh, they are awesome. Yes. I mean, I've seen like, you know, good looking model cars before and they're they're, they're mm-hmm. cool. Right. I actually had mm-hmm. I had a, a, a semi truck, a model of a semi truck that my dad, you know, spent a long time putting together. And, and it was neat. <laughs> the thing is, I can go outside and see cars and I can go outside and see trucks. What I can't go outside and see is starships. Oh, I feel bad for your neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I need to upgrade. Here's the thing, though. I can have starships. I don't even have to go outside. And uh, and also, uh, you, both you, John, and you listening, whose name is not John, or if your name happens to be John, too, that's fine. You also can have starships uh, with the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Yeah, and they will bring those ships to your door. And we're talking big ships. So, for example, the USS Shenzhou, that would be NCC-1227, it's nearly eight inches from front to back. That's from the front of the saucer to the tip end of the nacelle. It includes a display base. It also includes that collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes information, design sketches, and a breakdown of the technology on board, all the in-universe fun stuff. So that's the first ship that you would get. You would get the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227, and it's available to subscribers for only $9.95 with free shipping. And you can get that at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Now, we do keep saying starships plural. That's because after the first ship, if you subscribe, you get other ships too like the iconic USS Discovery NCC-1031, the USS Corella NCC-1255, and the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey, 
Uh, each of those ships monthly at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price, and they also come with free shipping. Subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over 100 bucks, and you can cancel your subscription at any time. Sadly, that will, of course, mean no more Starship sailing in, but here's the thing. Look it all over. Decide for yourself. The place to do that is eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. Now, you might be thinking, well, what if I could buy these individually on their own? Well, you could pick out your favorite ships. You could actually do that, and you could do that online at shop.eaglemoss.com, or you may get lucky by going down to your local comic book shop and finding those, and that would be at the regular price of $54.95 each. But to subscribe, you would go to eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. And a huge thanks again to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. As John said a moment ago, he does have trivia coming up. But before he does that, I'm going to do this. This being letting you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we turn things over to the Trivia Master. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, may I present, yes, yes, not only may I, I think I will, Mr. John Champion. Well, thank you for that, Ken. Today's episode, Vortex, the one without a vortex, was written by Sam Rolfe. Now, you've heard me mention Peter Allen Fields and his work on The Man from Uncle before. Well, here we have it all come home. Sam Rolfe was one of that show's creators. So he and Peter already knew each other, uh, though it wasn't Uncle that was the purpose for this episode. Sam had written a movie in the late 50s called The Naked Spur, starring Jimmy Stewart. In that movie, a bounty hunter is trying to bring in a killer, Ben, but his plans are complicated by a couple of ne'er-do-wells who find out about the bounty. So Sam wrote an episode of TNG called The Vengeance Factor. Hey, uh, you remember Utah? Well, remember Riker shooting Utah? Yeah, that that's the one. So that's what Sam Rolfe had contributed before. Peter Allen Fields was a fan of Sam Rolfe's work, not just in their work together on Uncle, but he was a fan in particular of The Naked Spur and said, come on in. I want to do a show that kind of is a riff on that. And who better to write it than Sam Rolfe himself? The episode was directed by Wienrich Kolbe, and we know about him. Seems like only yesterday he was the director of DS9's past prologue, but well before that he was directing a ton of Next Gen, going all the way back to Season 2's Where Silence Has Lease. Hey, how about that makeup job that Michael Westmore did for the Miradorn, that uh, interesting neck appliance? Did you notice that, Ken? They kind of had the, <laughs> the the necklace choker thing on. Well, did I notice that? I'm sorry. Do you think I was watching with my eyes closed? I know, right? How could yeah. you not notice it? There's a, I don't want to go so far as to say kink, but there's a tiny bit of something going on with the Miradorn. Yeah, it's 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 uh, there's there's latex, there's mm -hmm. mesh, there's that that choker that actually pierces them. 
right? It's a fetishy kind of thing they got going on They're there. They're fetishy yeah. kind of folk. Yeah. They are. They are. So, so Michael designed that makeup appliance, but then the costume director said, well, I have this idea. I want them to wear these, these necklaces, these chokers. But Michael had already come up with the makeup. And it would have gone over that. And they said, well, you know what? We'll just compromise and we'll have that actually go under the makeup appliance. So that's how they ended up with that weird look. And actually, Michael Westmore said that was one of his favorite makeups that he designed on DS9. Uh, there is a moment right in the opening of this episode where we have a, a very conspicuous shot of that tray of glasses that Rom is carrying off to that meeting with Quark. So following that extra glass on the tray was an homage to Alfred Hitchcock's 1941 film Suspicion. By the way, I've seen it misreported in a number of places as Notorious, which is also a Cary Grant Alfred Hitchcock movie from 1946, but that's wrong. <laughs> this is actually from Suspicion. Uh, Cary Grant, Joan Fontaine, and it's Cary Grant, uh, th this long shot following him carrying this glass of milk up to her. And you have to wonder if he is poisoning her because he plays his character, Johnny, who's kind of this ne'er-do-well. That's the second time, by the way, I've used the term ne'er-do-well in this episode of Mission Log for those of you keeping count at home. Um so he, he's carrying that glass and, and Hitchcock wants to drive home the, hence the title suspicion. So we make that a really prominent thing. Here's what's cool about that shot to make sure that it showed up on black and white film and make sure that it was so prominent in the shot. They actually put a battery powered light in that glass hmm. to make sure that you wouldn't lose sight of it as he's walking down the hall with it. So speaking of the Miradorn as we were, their ship was a reuse of a model that we saw before in Next Gen in Gambit. That was the pirate ship owned by Arctus Baran, played by the late, great Richard Lynch. And, uh, hey, while we're saying hello to old friends, how about that Mutara Nebula? Yeah, because the Mutara Nebula is all up in this episode, too. All right spotlight on a regular character because we got an email about this and i'm pretty sure we got some other comments uh in uh twitter and facebook about this guy too morn this episode finally gives a name to morn and i believe that we've already mentioned him by name just because we know it's it's morn but let's finally because they name him let's put the spotlight on mark allen shepherd first of all i heard that name and i wondered about it uh, because in January of 1961, that's when Alan Shepard was announced to be the first American to go up in space. And I thought, oh, I wonder if this Mark Alan Shepard was named after him. No, funny enough, though, uh, Mark Alan Shepard was born about 10 days before that announcement was made. Oh. That Alan Shepard was to be the first American in space. Um, now, we've actually seen Mark one time before in TNG. And a cameo as Morn in Birthright Part One. So we've we've talked about him there, and uh, I, I'm afraid to say that we have already heard as much of Morn as we ever will. Uh, the, that deep laugh that we heard last week—that's uh, it. So uh, of course that is the running gag for all of the 93 episodes that he appears in. We will never get a word out of Morn and Mark never got an on-screen credit. 
<laughs> pretty rough for a guy who spent two hours a day in the makeup chair. Uh, Vincent Nibla was his makeup artist. He did a lot of the big creature sculpts. Um, and then, of course, he would shoot for long, long days on set. But don't feel bad. He became sort of a cult figure, which is exactly the way the writers and creators wanted it. And in fact, Morin was in the first wave of action figures made for Deep Space Nine. So right away, he he had caught on. Um, and it's kind of cool that uh, Mark was given many opportunities to appear in his human form in cameos on Deep Space Nine. So he's only got a couple of other credits under his belt outside of his long run on DS9, uh, but he actually works mostly as an artist, and you've already seen some of his work because it is on screen throughout Deep Space Nine. So a lot of the stuff that you see hanging in somebody's quarters, that's his artwork. And yes, finally, of course, Morn is a tribute to Norm from Cheers. Now let's talk about guest stars. Randy Oglesby, uh, he plays not just one, but two Miradorn, both the Miradorn, the twins, Roquel and Akel in this episode. And we indeed met him before making a guest appearance on Next Gen. In Loud as a Whisper, he was one of the interpreters. He was the scholar artist. Uh, he'll make one more appearance on Deep Space Nine as a different character, and then he'll show up on Voyager. Then he will play a couple of roles, including one major one on Enterprise. And for all you trivia buffs, he is one of only four actors to play a total of seven roles across Trek and its sequels. Now, Leslie Kendall Die, here credited as Leslie Engelberg, plays Yareth. Leslie started out in live theater at the age of 10, focusing a huge portion of her career to ballet. Few TV roles come up for her before and after DS9, though. Uh, among them, she had a guest role on the TV version of Clueless and was a regular in the short-lived Sam Kinison series, Charlie Hoover. Finally, Cliff DeYoung as Croden. Cliff got his start in music. He was in a band called Clear Light in the 60s, and that band was sort of in the orbit of other acts at the time, like The Doors and Jimi Hendrix, to name just a couple. After his band broke up, Cliff went to New York and starred on Broadway in Hair, and soon after, he started making the TV guest star rounds. He also shows up in some interesting movies like Shock Treatment, the, the kind of sequel to Rocky Horror, in which he plays Brad Majors. He was in Glory and The Craft, and in the TV miniseries King, he played Robert F. Kennedy, but in the TV miniseries Robert F. Kennedy and His Times, he played John F. Kennedy. This is his only Star Trek appearance. I gotta say, I'm so glad you mentioned shock treatment. Yeah? Because there are so many times that you say somebody is the incomparable whomever, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But Cliff Young is comparable. <laughs> Are you going to compare him right now to uh, Barry Boswick, Barry Boswick? Well, no, Brad Majors? No, you see, I'm not going to do that, but they both played the same They both played the same character. So they are comparable. You yeah. can't help but compare them. Yeah. I mean, and they're, I, both, they're both great in their own ways, and I think he actually mm -hmm. had two roles in Shock Treatment. I don't think he just played Brad. I feel like he played somebody else as well. I'm not 100% certain about that. Yeah. Because I saw Shock Treatment once, I think. Interesting movie. Right. I'd like to go back and see it again at some point. But that actually makes him uh, triple comparable, if that is the case, because you can compare his role as Brad to his other role as the other guy in shock treatment. 
Plus, you got to compare him to uh, Barry Bostwick as Brad, who who was, you know, both fine and comparable. Stop me if you have heard this one. A twin pair of Miradorn, a Rikari, and a shapeshifter walk into a bar. Prologue. It's the usual antagonistic talk at Quark's between Quark and DS9 security chief, the shapeshifter Odo. This isn't just an anti-social call for Odo, though. He's curious about that guy from the Gamma Quadrant. Shifty in his own way. Won't make eye contact with Odo. What, Croden? Quark says he's harmless. They've been chatting over some drinks Croden's been buying. Quark says Croden was actually scared by the attention he got from the Starfleet officers when he boarded DS9. That makes Odo wonder what Croton has to be scared about. Odo's also got antenna up over a Miradorn raider that's docked with the space station, though Quark says he knows nothing about them. When a twinned pair of Miradorn walk in and nod in Quark's direction, Odo thinks that proves they're all up to something, though Quark's like, Hi, I'm the proprietor. They came to my bar. They probably want something from me. You know, the proprietor of the bar they just walked into. Man, you are so paranoid. I'll bet that's why nobody's ever seen another shapeshifter. You're all totally suspicious of and hiding from everyone. Act 1. Of course, Quark and the Miradorn are up to something. The twins have an objet d'art that they would like to sell the Ferengi. But Quark's concerned that this bauble may be stolen. Questions have been asked, and his buyer has backed out. Oh, and it's about to be stolen again. Croton, the shifty guy, comes in with a phaser, ordering everyone to hand over that... art thing. One of the Miradorn hands Croton the object, while the other goes to hit him with a tray of drinks glasses. Shots are fired. Croton has killed one of the Miradorn. All of this is observed by Odo, who it turns out had taken the form of one of the glasses on the tray. Now, back in Odo form, he orders Croton, the surviving Miradorn, Quark, and Rom, who had been serving the drinks, into custody. The surviving Miradorn is in a bad way. Twinned Miradorn aren't just twins. Together, they make up one being. Now the survivor has but one purpose, to see Croton dead for killing his brother, yeah, says Odo, let's talk about this stolen art thing first. The Miradorn acts insulted, and uh, for some reason, Cisco steps in. We may have more questions for you, but for now, return to your ship. Don't leave, and you have our sympathies for your loss. Quark, on the other hand, Cisco is ready to throw the book at. But Quark argues, and Odo confirms that he was worried about whether the art thing was stolen. Still, Odo notes a couple of weird things. Like, how did Croton know that Quark and the Miradorn were doing a deal? And why did Croton use a Ferengi phaser? Quark points out that you can get those lots of places. And now it's Rom's turn to act insulted. How dare Odo suggest that Quark set up the robbery that ended in the death of the Miradorn? Well, that makes Quark uncomfortable. Still, he's free to go. So let's check in with Croton, who's locked in a cell. Cisco tells him there will be a trial. They can provide an advocate for him, or Croton can request one from his homeworld. But he says his homeworld, Rakar, would probably not care. No trials there, so they're not likely to care about trials here. And he pretty much admits to the crime anyway. His needs exceed his talents, he says. But if he had Odo's skills, the skills of a changeling... I'm sorry, a what now? 
duh, a changeling like you. When I saw you on DS9, I assumed you and other changelings came through the wormhole from the Gamma Quadrant. Tell you what, feed me, and I'll tell you about the other changelings I met. Act 2. Cisco wants to get in touch with Rakar, Croton's homeworld. He and Dax will head through the wormhole and make contact. While they're gone, Benjamin wants Kira to keep an eye on the Miradorn, because, yeah, they probably still want Croton dead. Speaking of whom, Odo is really curious about the prisoner, and he's quizzing Quark about him. Through their conversation, we find that Croton was trying to get back to the Gamma Quadrant, and yes, he and Quark worked up the Miradorn robbery. Croton would take the art thing and later give it back to Quark. In exchange, Quark would get him a small ship to go back through the wormhole. Quark doesn't admit this, but he doesn't deny that 2 plus 2 do equal 4 either. What Odo really wants to know is whether Croton said anything about his homeworld, or other species from the Gamma Quadrant. Quark says he did not. This conversation interrupted by a call from security to Odo. The Miradorn is at Odo's office, and, hey, Sisko was right, he does still want to kill Croton. Odo tells him to go back to his ship. If he tries anything like this again, Odo will lock him up, too. Well, he's back at his office anyway, might as well talk to Croton. Croton, who is excellent at pushing Odo's buttons and pulling his strings, talking about their similarities, both alone, both alien on this side of the wormhole. Oh, sorry if anything I said was misleading. There are no changelings on Rakar. They were driven off centuries ago. But I do know where there are some, and sure, I could take you to them. Of course, Odo's skeptical of all of it, until Croton shows Odo a locket. Inside it, a shape-shifting key. He says it's from the Colony of Changelings, and offers the locket to Odo. Act 3. The trip by Sisko and Dax to Rakar is... interesting. They know all about the wormhole and the Alpha Quadrant, and they have no interest in any of it. But they would like Croton back. He's an enemy of the people, and must be dealt with. For some reason, Sisko agrees. He tells the Rakar representative that Croton will be delivered in a ship like Sisko's in a couple of days. Back on DS9, Odo and Dr. Bashir are examining the shape-shifting key. It's not exactly alive, but it's not not alive either. Bashir has never seen anything like it. Except for Odo. The key could almost be thought of as a distant biological cousin of the security chiefs. So it's back now to Croton who won't tell Odo how to get to the place where he got the key, but again, he will take him there to the colony of changelings who gave it to him. As luck would have it, Sisko's back from the Gamma Quadrant, and he has a job for Odo. Take Croton back to Rakar. His government wants him to pay for his crimes there. The Bajorans are fine with it, so take him home. Of course, they'll have to do that without the Miradorn noticing... That'll be tough, since the surviving Miradorn has been screening every ship that leaves to see whether Croton is on it. Basically, Odo will sort of hide his shuttle under a bigger ship headed to the wormhole, and hopefully avoid detection. One word of warning from Sisko: once they make the other side of the wormhole, they'll be on their own. DS9 won't be able to offer assistance. The plan works, and Odo and Croton are off to the Gamma Quadrant. Act 4. Croton's still pulling Odo's strings. 
pushing his buttons. How do you live so alone? How do you exist as such an outsider? Of course, Croton's got a story of his own, even if he doesn't have the whole story. He has no idea what he's accused of on Rakar, what his alleged crimes were. They just came for him one night, killed both of his wives before he was able to defend himself and kill his attackers. Maybe he asked too many questions. On his world, he says, the punishment for being an enemy of the people is the death of your family. Back on DS9, the Miradorn is roughing up Rom and Quark. Where is Croden? Fearing for his life, Quark looks into security and sees, then can't stop the Miradorn from saying that Odo has taken Croden through the wormhole. Rom thinks Quark played it beautifully. Odo won't give up Croden, so the Miradorn will kill them both. That'll cover their part in the robbery from Act 1, and Odo will finally be out of their hair. Quark doesn't seem as happy about that as Rom does. It doesn't matter what Ops says, the Miradorn ship takes off through the wormhole. Back in the Gamma Quadrant, Odo's shuttle is skirting the Sharma Vortex Nebula, where Croton says the Changeling Colony is. And he's telling Odo more tales of other Changelings. Come on, Odo, let's go see him! But Odo says there's no time. This conversation interrupted by an attack on the shuttle by the Miradorn. The first shot was a warning, says the Miradorn. Give up your prisoner. Odo says no, which is fine with the Miradorn. He'll just have to kill them both. This presents a real problem. Odo is not a combat pilot. They are going to die. Unless Odo lets Croden fly the shuttle. Reluctantly, Odo agrees. And it's into the Sharma vortex they go. Croden says they'll be invisible to sensors there. Even for Croden, it's a dangerous passage. Lots of pockets of unstable gas in the nebula. Unstable as in explosive. But the Miradorn ship keeps firing and doing a bang-up job on the shuttle. It's still picking them up on sensors. If they really want to avoid detection, they're going to have to land. So, Changeling, I guess I'm taking you home after all. Act 5. Of course, the whole thing was a lie. Yes, Croton's heard of changelings, but he's never seen one. Didn't even think they were real until he saw Odo. But he had to get here. Because here is where he was able to hide the one member of his family that he'd been able to save when they were attacked. His daughter. She's been in a stasis pod while he was away. That's what the shape-shifting key was for. She's alive. Then she's awake. Then this reunion interrupted by an attack from the Miradorn ship. The Miradorn has apparently figured out where Odo and Croton are, and now the Miradorn is firing on the surface above the caves they're in. Dirt is falling. Then rocks are falling. One hits Odo and knocks him unconscious. Croton goes to retrieve Odo. And then he thinks about leaving him, then finally decides to take him back to the shuttle. When Odo comes to, he's amazed. Croton could have left him there. How wonderful to all be... This bit of peace interrupted by yet another attack by the Miradorn. Odo may not be a combat pilot, but he's not a bad tactician. He guides the shuttle to one of those unstable gas pockets, then basically taunts the Miradorn into firing on them. But as soon as the Miradorn starts to fire, Odo punches it, the shuttle gets away, the unstable gas is set off by the firing, and the Miradorn ship is destroyed. Croton knows he has to go back to Rakar. 
though he does have a request. Take care of my daughter. She'll be as alone as you are, Odo, on the other side of the wormhole. Odo starts to say no when this idea interrupted by a call from a Vulcan ship. The Vulcans detected the explosion in the nebula and wondered whether the shuttle needs assistance. Actually, says Odo, he does need assistance. He was able to beam a couple of passengers off of a ship in the nebula before that ship was destroyed. Could the Vulcans offer the survivors passage back to Vulcan? Well, they're Vulcan. Of course they say yes. Croden wonders what Odo will tell the others about not delivering Croden to Rakar. Odo says he'll tell them that Croden was killed in the cave-in that nearly killed him. Croden's penchant for lies must be catching. As a parting gift, Croden gives Odo the locket with the shape-shifting key. He says he hopes it'll help Odo find where he comes from. Then father and daughter beam to the Vulcan ship, and Odo heads back to the wormhole. The end. Right. Yeah. All right. That's yeah. That that's a a, a lot of uh, interrupting. That's it was a lot there. of interrupting. Yeah, I wasn't sure if maybe I should just wait until you know all the interruptions were done and try to watch the episode in peace. Mm-hmm. Nope. And then, and then I realized that uh, they're part of the episode. That is the episode. Yeah. 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 Lots of interruptions, but uh, all's well that ends well. Well, all's well, well that ends well. Well, well it, it ends. Yeah. It ends. Yeah. So here's a question that we've gotten uh, more than a few times. Mm-hmm. How much does Odo weigh? He's he's a guy. He's a rat. He's a glass. He fits in a bucket. He's a guy again. That's a good question. Somebody actually wrote to us and said that Odo weighs the same thing no matter what shape he takes. He's just, you know, he's just reconfiguring uh, his mass, but his mass is always going to be the same or something like that. I don't know. Right. I'm not a scientist. But no. <laughs> that's what this person said, uh, which kind of makes sense. Although then Rom wouldn't have been able to carry him into the other room. Right. I started right. trying to figure out the science of it and then remembered again, I'm not a scientist. But of course, oh, you know, if yeah. we're going to accept the whole shapeshifter thing, then mm-hmm. I think we have to go ahead and accept, too, that he might not weigh the same thing as a feather as he would as a brick. Yeah. I mean, it's it sort of for me, it goes back to the whole uh, turbo lift thing. Is it the the turbo lift takes exactly the amount of time to get from point A to point B as the conversation being held in that turbo lift? Yeah. So uh, Odo weighs exactly what the weight of that object requires it to be. Right. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. If there's ever a time though where suddenly it's like Thor's hammer, where somebody goes to pick up the glass and they can't <laughs> because it's so yeah. heavy, that's going to be problematic. My assumption is if he's something small enough to be picked up then he's always going to be, you know, the weight of something small enough to be picked up. That's mm-hmm. my guess. Unless Rom is just super strong and he, oh. he doesn't remember like, oh, wow, holy crap, I just picked up this <laughs> right. tray and now it weighs like 180 pounds more than I thought I would, you know. Yeah, but I'm yeah. good with it because I've been working on my, uh, been working mm-hmm. on my packs. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that what it would be? The packs? Is that what would help him pick that up? Sh- I don't know. Sure. Don't sure. forget, yeah. lift with the back and use right. an anti-grav whatever. Always. Hey, I got a question about the art thing. Yep. Was that a knockoff Fabergé egg? It kind of looked like one, right? Yeah. Now, it's probably a space Fabergé egg. Probably so. uh, But I I kind of thought that. I kind of thought that was the inspiration for it. It was very very weird to see how taken with that everybody was. 
and that they would mm-hmm. kill for that as well. Although I wonder mm-hmm. if it actually was a Fabergé egg because as rare as everything might be, you know, near the edge of the galaxy or wherever Deep Space Nine is, um, mm-hmm. you got to figure Fabergé eggs are going to be really rare. Like real ones anyway. Yes, you could probably oh, yeah. replicate one in the replicator store, in the catalog store that they go to on every starship. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, because I find it hard to believe, you know, after the faction wars, after the eugenics wars, <laughs> and then after the, hey, we don't really need as much stuff as we used to think we needed. Can't imagine there's a booming trade in Fabergé eggs in the 24th century. No, but I, and I still, I just picture Fallow. Uh, front and the rest of the wadi waiting mm-hmm. in the corner. It's going like, uh, guys, we we still have all these sticks. You know, <laughs> you guys are fighting over an egg. We we have the market cornered on these sticks. Yes, many uses for those sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, we started this interesting thing with the Miradorn, uh, how they are a twinned species, and when one of them dies, well, at least the ones that we've met, when one dies, the other one is just like determined to uh, kill whoever killed his twin. And he's explaining to Cisco and Odo, like, you don't understand. We live as one. We are one. And I'm thinking, oh, crazy. We've got one of those, too. Only uh, there's one inside the other. See, here's what I was trying to figure out. I mean, first of all, if if they really are just driven by uh, by, by vengeance at that point, they should mm-hmm. all be played by Liam Neeson. But Oh, that would be great. Yeah. The other thing that I was really wondering about is, did he mean like literally like I can't think anymore or was it just like, you know, we're, we're just we're such a big part of each other's lives that now it feels like half me is gone. Yeah. Could, could have been a little poetic license. Yeah. Because yeah, like 15 minutes later or, you know, from one act to another act, he's not he's not still limping. He's not having any trouble with recall. Uh, he's he's very purpose driven. Now, granted, that purpose is vengeance, but might that not have been the same thing for his wife or for his sister or for his younger brother or his older brother? Yeah. Let's name other family members. What about his dad or his grandpa? Right. <laughs> Could it be like that? It's like, Go no, ahead. I'm really I'm just really a sensitive Miradorn. I'm really yeah. sensitive. It's like you've taken part of me away. But, you know, they, they're not like binars. You know, they weren't speaking no. one for no. the other and then back and forth like that. Mm-hmm. Um. I kind of feel bad saying this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it anyway. Forehead yeah. of the week department pulling double duty this week. Yeah. Weren't they? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, although uh, not double duty in the respect that once you uh, once you made up one Miradorn, mm-hmm. uh, well, you, you're done for the day because <laughs> you don't have to make up another Miradorn. You That's just true. Got the one. That's and true. You shoot him twice. So Randy Oglesby saved the makeup department in that case. But yes. But other than that, you've got other foreheads going on. It's weird, though, because in last week's episode, I mean, not only do you have a bunch of Ferengi, I mean, because I, I know they don't all look exactly the same. I mean, yeah, Rom and, uh, and Quark actually have very different looks. I don't remember mm-hmm. many of the looks of the others, although certainly Zach, the one played by Wallace Shawn, looked very oh, different cool. because he was older and he had all that hair coming out of his ears and all that nasty yeah. you know, <laughs> stuff. Yeah, right. Um, um, there was prune face last week or prune face light. Um, mm-hmm. There's mourn, you know, uh, but, but, but then, uh, but then this week it's like, mm, yeah, just let's just do the forehead and uh, change the costumes. How would that be? Yeah. Right. Um, I, we got a, a little look at the Ferengi phaser and I, I remember somewhere like well before I had seen DS9, uh, I saw that as a prop somewhere. And I thought, wait, really? I don't remember them carrying phasers. I don't remember that really being a thing. Uh, but then we got a, a pretty decent look at it 
in uh, in this episode, uh, uh, you know, in, in that kind of shootout there. Uh, so I, cool that they had their own weapon, a little weird looking weapon, but then, you know, Fring Gear, a little weird looking guys. Another thing that was weird is uh, Cisco saying, he has this great line, you know, we'll be back in 52 hours or within 52 hours. And uh, reminding me again that he's on Bajoran time. It's 26 hours in the day, not like our 24. But then I thought, wait, he's telling somebody in the Gamma Quadrant, I wanted the next line to be great. What's an hour? Yeah, okay. Except I mm-hmm. assume that there's still some sort of translator or something or other working, right? It's a universal translator, and it also translates units. Yes, which is great. Well, it would have great. to. I mean, no, seriously, yeah. though, it would have to if it were gonna if it were gonna be any kind of universal translator, right? Yeah. The weird thing is, like, if you say I'm gonna have, um, let's see, can you order Colt Monsieur uh-huh. at a, at a Federation outpost? Because if the universal translator is always working, would it would it not translate that? Oh, and then it would just be like, here's a terrible ham and cheese sandwich right, instead of sandwich. Like doing the correct, yeah, like right. a, a real croissant. Right. Can, yeah. I have a, can I have a cafe au lait? You want a coffee right. with milk? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it doesn't sound nearly as cool when you say it that way. No, you're losing the nuance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, it would have to. I mean, look, not a day goes by that I don't ask Siri, like, uh, how many inches in a meter? How many, wait, how many meters in a yard? How am I, you know, I, trying to figure that. So all day long, I, I get it. I get it. It's just hardwired now. Um, very neat trick in this. Uh, you just make a runabout, travel alongside a freighter, and not get spotted. Right. Yeah. Yes, and then they just, you know, float away with all the rest of the garbage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, that's, we, that's we, the trick we, they're we doing. We know what they were watching. Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Rakar, this gets dark, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Are the security guys' necks particularly weak, or are the bird necks particularly tough? Or oh, yeah. are the knives just particularly good? That's what I was wondering about, because you may remember mm-hmm. when... Um, we're in the episode, and I have forgotten his name, Croden. Croden. Good yeah. God, what is wrong with me, dude? You may remember Croden saying, yeah, so I got their necks, and I was amazed to find that it was no more difficult to cut their necks than it was to cut the necks of the birds that we have for dinner. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, are those like stringy, gamey, like really like <laughs> muscular birds? Or is, is like security not a serious job on Rakar? Or are they like using the equivalent of the, uh, the Gamma Quadrant's Ginzu? Right. Yeah, yeah, I kind of again might have been a little poetic license. Might have, might have been. You know? It was. I mean, because that was a dramatic. That was a dramatic uh, moment there. Yeah, yeah. Croden likes to tell a story. He really Croden does. does. That's that's his stock and trade, dude. He's no armed robber. That's for sure. <laughs> right, right. Um, something really important that we learned here uh, with Odo and Croden in their escape in the runabout. It's good to know, because like if I'm ever in this position or if you're ever in this position, good to know you can just tell a starship computer what to do. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder why you have these huge crews on all these starships, because one of the things you can tell the starship to do is uh, evasive maneuvers. Right. So basically, hey, computer, all the things that you need to do for us to not get killed, do that now if you weren't already doing that before. Yeah, why is that only on small ships, though, and not big ships? Because it should have been like, uh, you know, Picard should have been saying evasive maneuvers, and then Riker would be like, Ensign Row, evasive maneuvers, and Ensign Row would be like, hey, computer, evasive maneuvers. Right, right, <laughs> right yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like a giant game of telephone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Although by the time mm-hmm. he gets Ensign Row, it's like... Uh, 
evasive boudoir or something right, like that. Yeah. She's misheard <laughs> so after the third time. I was like, I don't even know what that means. I'll, I'll see you on the <laughs> holodeck, I guess. I'd, yeah. Evasive yeah. boudoir. That's my, uh-huh. that's of course my, that's some cover band. I don't know. It'd be a good cover band. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to figure out who it's for. We have a line here. I'm a security chief, not a combat pilot. I, I, I think, you know, well before Star Wars had, uh, um, you know, I have a very bad feeling about this. We we knew that I'm a blank, not a blank is Star Trek's thing. I'm glad to see it kind of make, make its way in here. I, I think I would be annoyed if it was just all the time and if there was sort of a wink to the audience. But but somehow so far, it's always been uh, pretty much spot on. And hey, I'm glad to see there are Vulcans on the other side of the wormhole, which is great because if ever you needed the most benevolent species ever encountered on Star Trek to save you in a jam, thank goodness you can be 80,000 light years away from where you started. And there they are. (laughs) Yeah. The thing is, everybody on the other side of the wormhole, though. I mean, it was Klingons. Mm. Klingons brought Croden back from the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah. I'm really curious how that conversation went. Oh, you, you know what? Probably was not good. Well, I mean, I don't know. Was it like money? What did they did he just like pay them a lot? Did he offer to kill somebody for them? Did he have to like, you know, <laughs> fight the second in command? Yeah, maybe. Or did he just kill like the weakest Klingons so he could have their quarters on the way back? And what were the Klingons doing in the Gamma Quadrant? I mean, I know they're they're kind of our friends now, but they're only kind of our friends now. Mm-hmm. What are they doing in the Gamma Quadrant? Yeah. Yeah, good question. So, uh, about those Vulcans. So, at, at the end of the episode, uh, Croden and his kid, um, so they go to Vulcan mm-hmm. because Odo lies to to cover for everything. Um, and, and then what? Disneyland? For my money, the Mutara Nebula has to be the most versatile actor in all of Star Trek deeper into the vortex in a moment but first how many times has this happened to you you go someplace cool and star trekian but you don't have anything trek to wear well mission log is here to help we partnered with a guy a guy named carl who does some stellar design work and he has allowed us to fill the mission log podcast shop with some of those designs check out lieutenant J. have a look at the revamped carbon chauvinism design and grab a souvenir from an alternate timeline where Nova Squadron didn't crash and burn. New designs all the time, and some of your old favorites as well. Ethos, Pathos, and Logos are represented, and of course you can still be cool as Kirk. There is a ton of stuff to see. And all that comes as t-shirts, stickers, tapestries. Yeah, you heard me right, tapestries. I'm not messing around here. So much Mission Log and Star Trek goodness in the Mission Log podcast shop. Go to missionlogpodcast.com, click shop at the top of the page, and then shop. Shop it up. That's what you do. And send us a pic of you with your new Mission Log wares. Support this show and look cool doing it. Click shop at the top of the page at missionlogpodcast.com. I love my Mission Log shirts. I know. I do. Yeah. yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I got, I got, uh, it's weird. I don't wear the, the J shirt many places because mm-hmm. I don't want to answer questions, but I'm looking <laughs> forward to, like I say, going to, uh, going to someplace, uh, Trekkian as yeah. you, uh, as, did you put it that way? No, I put it that way. As yeah, I, I put it earlier. Put it that way. Yeah. 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 Going someplace Trekkian and, and being decked out in that. 
I'm kind of excited. We've we've seen a lot of pictures on Twitter and on Facebook and just messages that we'll get from people who listen to the show and they're hey, look, I got my Lieutenant J shirt. I got my yeah. car- carbon chauvinism shirt. It's very cool to see that stuff out in the wild. Love yeah. it. Yeah. And more stuff coming, like we said. So mm-hmm. yeah, do the thing that John said. And if you can't remember what that was, I will tell you, you should rewind because you really do want to go there. <laughs> um all right, so let me dive really quickly and just uh, continue with something that we were talking about. I believe it was last week. The Ferengi are no less an enigma to me now than they were the last <laughs> oh, week. Uh, Quark set up an armed robbery that ended in a homicide. Yes. Now, Quark could have given Croden a stunner. He could have given him some other way to do that, but he gave him a deadly weapon, mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh, and then Croden used that deadly weapon. And somebody ended up dead. Are we watching a cartoon? Right. How many how many murders or near murders is this now? With I mean, it tied to Quark specifically. I want to say it was three. I want to say there was one in the passenger, there was one in the Nagus, and there was one in Vortex. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I had the same question. I, I just wonder, like, you get to the end of the episode, and as Star Trek very often does, or, or at least it did in the past, where things don't have a consequence the next week... I feel like Odo and Cisco have been very concerned with the visitor Croden. They've been very concerned with the twins. They've been very concerned about all this. We maybe are forgetting the concern about the guy who has now been involved as an accessory to murder. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Now, in fairness, mm-hmm. his trail is covered. Odo is. was actually in the room when Quark said, hey, is that stolen? Mm-hmm. I don't think I feel good about dealing in stolen merchandise. Yeah. And so then uh, Croton comes in and does his thing, and they all suspect Quark, but you can't tie him back to it. It would have been kind of funny if, like, right as Croton was, you know, beaming off the shuttle, he had said, oh, by the way, Odo, Quark, yeah, listen, he set that whole thing up. So yeah. go back and take care of that. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. because, yeah, just, you know, it's, uh, it's just Quark. He just serves drinks and occasionally almost gets somebody killed or occasionally gets somebody killed, I guess. I mean, I guess what I'm really wondering is just, and I don't... I don't care. I mean, it's fine because mm. this is the show and this is the show. I'm just wondering when or if it's going to even out, right? Yeah. Because this isn't like that, you know, he oh, he talks a tough game, but underneath he's all heart. No, this is people nearly die or actually die mm-hmm. uh, more often than you're used to with one of the leads right. on a show that's mostly full of uh, good guys. And I'll put good guys in quotes there. But since you can't see quotes, I'll say, quote, good guys, end quote. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. And that is kind of what we were touching on before is that Quark is a likable character. He's not a perfect character by any stretch of the imagination. He He's not all quote unquote good. We certainly know that. And Armin Shimmerman plays him beautifully. He, this is the best representation, the best portrayal of a Ferengi that we have had so far. No question about it. But Part of the charm there is, you know, Odo showing up and and we all know that Quark does things like skim a little off the top and cheat his customers and, and get in over his head. And that's the fun of it. But then it gets darker every time. Like, oh, well, there's a thing in the contract here that says you get to harass the women who work for you. Okay, that, that's oh. a little, yeah. We, that, and that, we have never, we have never gone back to that, have never we? Never come back to that. Nope. All right. Nope. Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay. And, and then all, well, the murder that comes up and then I expect Odo to be down there and, and Quark, you know, they, they have their interaction and, and Odo's like, I'm keeping an eye on you and Quark's like, I'm running a business here. And Odo should be like, 
but you kill people. <laughs> that's that's why I'm here. <laughs> well, know? except so far he hasn't actually been because uh, we don't we couldn't even tie him directly to what happened in the passenger. Could we? no exactly because exactly. I want to say everybody yeah. died there. Yeah, which oh man, I even forgot about those guys. Like there was the guy who who um, the thing that had taken over Bashir was like uh, hit the warp drive, and that guy didn't want to die, so he wouldn't hit the warp drive. So right. Bashir, well, the Bashir alien hybrid, whatever, went ahead and killed that guy anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People die as a result of Quark's dealings. Here's my biggest concern. Yeah. That that hooch that he's serving is nothing but rubbing alcohol and like and like food coloring, and that one day all of his patrons are going to be dead, and mm-hmm. everybody's going to be like, yeah, "That's just Quark." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't really think that'll happen. Although that would be a great. Well, I I, I will say I've never watched the series finale. Oh yeah, see, so there you go. Now now you're really in for something. That yeah. could be. It could it could happen. I don't know. I've never seen it. I only just have a few notes about this episode, um, and and not all of them of consequence. Um, I, I liked using the word dissemble. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting word choice because it's not a word that is used too much. I do think we should try to work it back into our vernacular. Um, but mm. that, uh, yeah, but, uh, can you can you define dissemble for me? It, it it essentially is a euphemism for to lie, but not even euphemism. It, it just it, it simply is a replacement word for a lie. So what we should do then is cover up what we're doing by using a bigger word that not everybody would understand? Precisely. Call it a lie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's cute. I love the fact that he's like, oh, yeah, no, I, t- oh, I hate that word. That word's ugly. Let's say disassemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Quark, you got somebody killed. Oh, I, I hate that word. Let's say, yeah. let's say cause somebody to stop breathing permanently. <laughs> right, right. That does sound better than killed, and disassemble mm. does sound better than lie, but half the reason it sounds better is because... I think there are lots of people who don't know. Well, no, you're not taking anything apart. I'm accusing you of lying. No, yeah, that's disassemble. Yeah. You're thinking yeah, yeah. We're, of disassemble. We're dissembling. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about dissembling. Oh, what's yeah. that mean? Well, it means lying. Well, why don't you just say that already? Yeah, it just sounds better. just sounds better. So something that I do like in this episode, I, I like uh, the creation of a character like Croden who can challenge Odo in this particular way. So we, we've seen Odo kind of be bristly. He's not the most cuddly guy in the show. We we know that the, the conflict, uh, that relationship that he has with Odo will continue on because, let's face it, the chemistry is great when they're on a screen together. Um, we have seen him grapple with Cisco. We've seen the interesting kind of friendship that he has with Kira, but we've only gotten a glimpse of that. We we haven't really explored that too much. But but Odo is not a um, he's not a guy who opens up too well. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the idea that you can introduce a character like Croden and and really dig deep into the the emotional core of Odo. And interesting, you know, you said at the beginning of the show that uh, there is no vortex in this show. Because physically, there's not a vortex, but but vortex can also mean something regarded as, I pulled this from uh, the internet, the source of all knowledge, one definition, something regarded as drawing into its powerful current everything that surrounds it. And, and I do feel like Odo is the one caught in the, let's say, quote unquote, vortex as soon as he meets Croton. This throws off what he, uh, how he would normally handle a case like this. You know, very cut and dry, do the thing, get out of here, have no attachment, have no reason to stick around a guy like Croton, done with the gig. So 
I'm left at the end of the day thinking, well, you know, what what should we make of Odo at the end of this? So the, the closest thing we got to tempting him was Quark imagining a latinum-lined bucket. And that was kind of a cute throwaway thing. And you, you saw Odo kind of consider it for a half a second. Mm-hmm. And no one else on Deep Space Nine really gets under his skin or challenges him in a significant way that we know of yet. But he has a heart, as we start to see it. And it's cool to see his sense of morality challenged a little bit, too, in in this episode, you know? So, I, I, I kind of, I wondered, here we are, you know, a dozen episodes in, and... Did did the writers kind of sit down and say, you know what, if this guy, if all he is, is all business all the time, we're not going to have very far to go. But if we show that he can be compromised a little bit, then we've got more to play with, with a guy like Odo. So I like the idea that he can be, he has come across as moralistic as as this person of principle, even if we don't always agree with the principle, you know, like you remember that uh, that line that he he said to Cisco about how it was so much easier under the Cardassians because justice was just a thing that was black and white, <laughs> and you understood it, and you could be done with it. Right. Um, but here he gets to play in the gray area more than we've seen him so far. So I uh, I, I dig what they've done to the character here. Well, I, I, I'm I'm torn, honestly, for a couple of mm. reasons. Um, I don't like seeing him conned, which he was. I mean, I do sure. believe, I do believe Croden has heard stories about shapeshifters, but I don't know why mm. I believe that. There's absolutely no reason to believe it, except that when it seems like he's being honest, um, you know, then he says, "Yes, I heard of them, but I thought they were a myth." But honestly, Odo's been Odo's been conned all the way through. Mm-hmm. By by Croton, and he tried very hard not to be, but he ended up being. But I think that's okay. I think that's okay. It it shows that he's got a weakness. We introduced that early on. That that if he's got an emotional concern about anything, it's about where he came from, right? You know. So I'm really hoping then that what we have is. See, I don't, I, I, I know we're eventually going to find out about shapeshifters, okay? But what I don't know is when we're going to find out about shapeshifters. If this ends up something that gets revealed at the end of this season or maybe in the next season, that's fine. If we go four or five seasons with this, I'm going to be a little bit bothered. So, I mean, I think <laughs> the two things that, the two things that bummed me out were, I mean, first of all, that we saw him get taken because mm-hmm. then I don't know what we know about Croton, but now we know exactly how to get anything we want out of Odo just convince him that we know something about where he's from, right? Mm-hmm. And everything sort of, it's not like everything falls away at that point. I mean, he didn't suddenly just like, you know, just fall in line with Croton. But, I mean, it was cool, don't get me wrong, and I'll go ahead and jump really quickly to the next the, the next part. I wasn't mm-hmm. upset by it. I wasn't like, you know, well, this ruins the episode for me. Quite the contrary. Yeah. Um, I just don't know how to feel about it exactly. Because, yeah, we learned some stuff about Odo, but... I feel like we learn more about Croton, which he's just an amazing con man because he's yeah. just an amazing con man. He heard almost everything with the exception of maybe he had heard of changelings before. And we don't actually even know if they're called changelings. Well, except I guess the daughter did confirm that because she said, are you really a changeling? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we do have confirmation of that. But pretty much the only thing we now know about Odo's people are, you know, 
people have heard of them, but nobody's seen one in forever. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, everything that uh, everything that um, Croden offered Odo was all stuff that he could have picked out in that yelling match in the prologue mm-hmm. between Odo and uh, between Odo and Quark. Like maybe he didn't know that nobody had ever seen another changeling, except now that's been confirmed by Odo and Quark in their yelling match that they've had. And so, okay, file that away, and I can use that and say, I actually know where there are some. I know you thought there were no more, but I can tell you where there are some. It's just, I mean, he's a great. He reminds me of uh, Harry Anderson back when he used to do uh, Cheers. He, oh, I mean, he's yeah, a, he's yeah. a he is he is a consummate con man. Uh, luckily, also like Harry Anderson back when he used to do Cheers uh, with a heart of gold. It yeah. turns out, although if his daughter hadn't been there, I think Odo would still be in that cave. Uh, can I ask another question really quickly? Yeah. Uh, what's up with Cisco just agreeing to turn uh, Croden back over to the isolationist group of people willing to say nothing about themselves and happy to try Croden in absentia for a myriad of crimes? <laughs> remember the look Remember the look on Dax's face when he's yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. we'll turn him over to you. And Dax has this look like, what the heck? Why didn't yeah. we get that conversation? I wish we had had that conversation because I love the fact that when they get back, Cisco's like, yeah, so listen, I want you to take uh, Croden back to Rakar. And Odo says he's he's not going to stand trial here, and and Cisco mm-hmm. actually says apparently he's committed lots of crimes there, and his government wants him back. But I love the fact that he said apparently because here's the thing: when we approach the planet, Cisco's like, um, "Hey, anybody?" and nobody says anything, and Cisco's like, uh, "I've got a guy," and then somebody <laughs> pipes up, but I mean, we don't. It's like that guy. It's like when was it Rasmussen or who was it that showed? the 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 identification from the future right right yeah, on yeah, the yeah Matt Frewer. right yeah and everybody's yeah. like oh well it's 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 obviously identification <laughs> from the future so it's like pretty much the first guy with a ham radio who got in touch with cisco is like oh well the government said and it's like well mm-hmm. no that's just the guy who got in touch with you you don't mm-hmm. you know nothing about that and you know nothing about their laws you know nothing about their society it has been you, you've been given to understand that this guy's going to die when he gets back but because somebody raised their hand and said, yeah, could you uh, could you swing back by and drop him off? It's like, yeah, well, they asked. That's why we have to do. Yeah, yeah. This is I feel like it's too early in the game here for uh, Cisco to just be so fed up with everything <laughs> else he has to do. Just like, oh, yeah, uh, they, they want him back. I just I don't need another thing in my plate. Uh, take him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I have yeah. no more interest in this. Yeah, that planet asked for it. The Bajorans said they were fine with it, and I am I'm good. good. With Crodon and his daughter on their way to the magic kingdom that is Vulcan. It is time to see what we can take from Vordex. The episode is called Vortex. Interesting bit of trivia. It is not called the Vortex. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You didn't mention that in trivia. No, that's no, it interesting. Didn't. Yeah. Um, and if you're wondering why it's called Vortex, you should listen to the last segment again. Because John Champion, he did the most amazing job explaining why Vortex might have been the name of this. Uh, it's weird, though, that they name something that is not a vortex a vortex in the space cartography thing. True. It's like, True. oh, we should call this we should call this the Sharma vortex. Oh, so there's a vortex there? No, 
you know, thematically, <laughs> it's just a vortex of lies. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Really? Because mm-hmm. it looks a bit like the Mactara Nebula. Oh, but you're yeah. saying yeah. you're saying it's a vortex of lies. You say. Mm-hmm. Well, then, yeah, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Just hand it off to somebody else. I've got dinner reservations, so fine. <laughs> Call it that, and uh, and we'll move on to other things. Speaking of which, let's move on to other things because uh, this is the part of the show where we talk about the messengers' morals and meanings and try to figure out whether the whole thing holds up today. Yeah. And I guess that's what I'm asking you, John, uh, starting with that one, as I'm wont to do. Vortex. Does Vortex hold up as far as you're concerned? Well, you know, I'm of two minds about this. Uh, What I kind of don't like about this episode is that we introduce characters who we'll never see again, involved in a plot we'll never care about again, all just to serve for a little more backstory with Odo. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, really, what I really quickly, mm-hmm. you say it that way and you make it sound like an episode of Star Trek. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, boy, it does sound like an episode of Star Trek, doesn't it? And, and funny enough, see, what I actually really love about this is, is that we have an inconsequential plot with inconsequential characters who served a deep in Odo's backstory, much like an episode of Star Trek. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, look, this is, it's fine. It's a fine episode. It's a bit meandering. I will forget all of this. Um, <laughs> I wasn't really invested in all the plot mechanics, but I do enjoy the stuff with Odo. And so far in this first dozen episodes, we, we've we allowed each of the characters to have their moment, uh, some more successfully than others. Uh, let us not speak of Bashir being inhabited by Rayo Vantica again. Uh, that that was supposed to be Bashir's standout episode, and, well, maybe not so much. But we had Dax, and that was awesome. And what a great way to dive a little more deeply into the psyche of that character. And and we keep getting more and more about Benjamin Sisko. And we've got even got more about Jake here and really fleshed him out. We had, uh, we had um, uh, Kira in past prologue right away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, so you're and, right. There's been something for everyone yeah. uh, up to – well, I mean, you could argue this is actually Odo's second turn because uh, there was the first one, of course. I can't remember the name of the episode. Surprise! <laughs> but the one where he was a shifter. Man Dirty alone. shifter. Man alone. That's yeah. right. That's Oh, that's right. That's the one where Odo was a man alone. alone. That's oh, right. Oh. I remember that now. So, yeah, everybody's had, a, everybody's had a turn at this point. Yeah. So I like that we get that out of this episode, but overall, I don't think it's a fantastic episode. Like, uh, like I said, I, I'll stick by my my words there. Meandering, uh, <laughs> I, I will forget it. So this episode hits the mark because it's successful for the character for for at least getting that part out. Um, so yeah, it it holds up. Uh, but like I said, I. I I, I don't think this would be memorable in a way where I'd add this to a list of all-time great episodes. It works just because it works in context with everything else. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, I, I would actually go a tiny bit further, too, and say coming off of the Nagus and then coming off of Move Along Home before that, mm-hmm. it does really well as a, a strong bit of storytelling. Of course, I do want, I mean, we found things to actually talk about in the Nagus. We found, you know, some ideas that were maybe a little bit bigger than the ideas that are presented here. This is, as you say, very much a character development episode. 
Um, but we're going to be here for another six and a half years of TV, right? <laughs> or six right. and a half seasons of TV. So that's fine. It, this is, I mean, we're, this would be one of those things that really indicates that, yes, we are moving on from certainly early TNG, but of course we're moving on from early TNG because we're past early TNG by the time they started producing this show anyway. I mean, it was, it was family before yeah. we got, I mean, you could argue that the one, um, was it the Icarus Factor? Is that the one with uh, mm -hmm. Riker's dad? Yeah, very good job. Good That's job. well, it's because yeah. it's father and son. So you know, there's Icarus yeah. and kid Icarus yeah. and video games, and it all ties in that way for me, John. Yep. But I mean, you do have. I mean, you have. You did have some character development early, but really, family in TNG is when that starts to happen. We're getting that earlier in Deep Space Nine, but we've already started doing that on TNG. So. Hmm. I feel a tiny bit weird about the idea that there's that we're not trying for the we're not going for you see Timmy in this episode, but right. in the eleven or twelve episodes that we've had so far of Deep Space Nine, we're not doing you see Timmy as much as we used to. So, I mean, it's hard to fault the show for that because, well, I think we talked about it a couple of years ago, um, long before we got to Deep Space Nine that we knew or I knew that I was going to have to change the way that I watched Star Trek when we got here. I'm not quite certain how I'm supposed to be watching it yet, honestly. Mm -hmm. So does the episode hold up as storytelling? Yes. As character development? Yes. As uh, did I like our bad guy of the week? Not, not the, not the, uh, the aliens with the things in their necks, but I did like the <laughs> clip, the young character. I mean, that, that was uh, all, yeah, that was so yeah, it's fine. It, yes, I would say it holds up. Uh, like yeah. you, not the strongest ever, but I mean, nobody's yelling Alamorane, and that's <laughs> that's a very welcome thing. Yeah. But what about uh, what about? So having said, I'm not sure it's a messages kind of thing. Are there messages that you walked away with? Uh, even a guy like Odo has to compromise his principles from time to time if it feels right. I I, I mean, seriously though, you know, we've had a way more dramatic story uh, multiple stories in the past uh that kind of go down that same path you know I, I still really like the discussion that we had about homeward in next gen because picard made a bad call about sticking to the letter of the law and, and we both agreed that he needed to show more compassion that there's room for compassion in the interpretation of the supposedly hardline rule Remind uh, the me, prime directive. Well, remind everybody else. Homeward uh, was the one with Paul Servino, the one with yes. uh, Worf's adopted brother, where they move people without them knowing that they're moving them and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. All right. Exactly. And Picard's like, "Oh, let's watch this blow up." Oh, uh, time to leave. <laughs> you know, and, and and naturally, everybody around him is just horrified. And uh, and that that was a good way to explore that to say, okay, yeah, we have rules for ourselves. But when do those start to when do those start to change? When do we start to compromise because of new information, new factors that we have to uh, that we have to uh, consider? And it was nice to see Odo go down that path and get to know somebody and become emotionally involved in that story. And even though he had been lied to, as we talked about, um, you know. He is able to see Croden as a person, not just as the liar. Um, and I thought that was all handled really well. Uh, so that, that's what I got out of this. How about you? 
Uh, just because somebody says they know your mom and dad doesn't mean get in the car with them. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I got hung up on the fact that Odo... Was Croton really that good a manipulator, or have we all now just found Odo's key, if you don't mind my using that term, where he has a little key stone thing, whatever? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was... It was something about that just didn't quite sit right. And I know probably it's because we are now introducing, this is a thing about Odo. This is a thing that haunts Odo. I don't think it's actually, everybody's going to be able to get it over on him, but do this, do this episode differently. If, if, if Croton had been a femme fatale instead, mm-hmm. Odo could have ended up with blood on his hands. Right. Yeah, sure. And who knows whether Odo would have actually fallen for that, but you know, take the, this is the thing that you've always wanted to know about, throw in a little sex and who knows yeah. what Odo ends up being. And that, that would be an amazing episode. Of course, it would also be a weird turn for our security chief. <laughs> but I mean, and, and, and again, I'm not faulting it. Yes, I like this episode. Yes, I think this episode holds up. And no, this is not a messages episode. I, there was something the whole time, though. I was just a little bit uncomfortable with how uh, Odo, I mean, it's almost dereliction of duty. Quark. If he had leaned on Quark a tiny bit harder, Quark probably would have admitted to the armed robbery or setting up the armed robbery. But what Odo wanted to know about was, did Croton ever say anything about his home world? Did he say anything about anybody else from the Gamma Quadrant? Right? He's got mm-hmm. he's got Quark on the ropes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> about the robbery. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But tell me about my dad. You know? Yeah. It was kind of like... I don't know. It was a weird thing, but I mean, I'm fine with it. It doesn't like ruin the episode or anything like that. It was just a weird thing to watch happen to this guy who, uh, who to this point has been tough as nails. Mission log is produced by Roddenberry entertainment, executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Check out the Roddenberry podcast network at podcast.roddenberry.com. There you will find mission log, mission log live women at warp priority one and the Trek files. Now, if you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Battle Lines. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate, yet equally important groups, and neither of them can lay a finger on Quark. transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.